Welcome to uh, James Cannings uh, today, who's the co-founder of uh, MMT Digital, uh, and uh, now uh, these days the chief sustainability officer. And uh, we know each other a little bit from before, uh, James. So uh, we chatted here a little bit before we started this podcast about the outer environment, uh, making it sustainable, but also your inner environment. So. Uh, we're going to jump into this, uh, how you kind of make that coherent and link the two. But uh, could you tell us about your uh, entrepreneurial journey and how you grew this company from like a few people to over 200 people today? And just maybe, can I just step mm. in for a moment? Because myself and Daniel were having a chat. I never heard of the titles sustainability officer. I had to ask him, what does it actually do? <laughs> so before we go on to that, maybe just to explain, what does it mean? Like, this is just something that seems to be new. Yeah, it, it is. So yeah, we'll come back to the story, but I think that's a really important definition as well, because the, definitely the term sustainability gets banded around and, and means different things. And, and so I think what we're going to talk about a bit more today is, is kind of, you know, sustainability in the much broader sense, you know, a, a sustainable business has to be one where people aren't burning out, a sustainable entrepreneur, you know, you know, can't have commercial success but drive himself to an early grave and there's there's diversity and equality and inclusion in that kind of broader sustainability piece in terms of my my current role it's a little kind of less perhaps we can get into it and i do think there's some parallels you'd probably describe me as the chief environmental sustainability officer right so although i dovetail a lot into the teams um at the company that are focused on you know, diversity, equality, inclusion, actually my, my current role is a, a little bit less on kind of like sustainable business and more on I'd say the net zero strategy, um, the environmental piece, how do we produce sustainable products to our, to our clients. So in, in our cases, it's, it's technology services. So how do we produce low carbon websites, low carbon film shoots, um, you know, environmentally sustainable digital marketing and technology services. So yeah, it, it, but it, you know, it's it's a role that didn't exist a while back, and and I think we can get into. I think sort of longer term that there is the the view that it will broaden, and and that we have to look at sustainability. We you know, there's more to the sustainability aspect than just the environmental piece. Um, you know, because, you know, if you look at the, the the big picture of that, it's very easy to be sustainable. Um, if you you know you can you can produce a very very sustainable jumper um, by bulldozing a local village in South America and and getting it done in a sweatshop, right? It's it's going to be very low carbon and very low cost, right? Tick in the box, but you know that's where you step out of the Western bubble and and actually you've got to talk about sustainability in in a much kind of broader sense and and as part of that leveling up up the world so it is it has a bit more of an environmental slant um but actually you know i have a deep fascination with with the broader sort of sustainability piece um that we want to bring in so no it's, mm. it's a great question patrick to i wonder what's driving it though there seems to be very much a change in the psyche between the generations now and my generation so um across many many frontiers and i just heard a quote apparently stephen hawking said that there's about 100 years left for human civilization um so is it, it's almost that it's a, it's, it's, it's the, the stick approach that we have no choice, but to get involved with this. And I, I, I think so. Like, you know, I, I love, you know, I don't want to sort of get too much to the environmental piece because it's such a sort of thing I'm passionate about, but you know, I think what's happened is that, 
you know, look, I mean, humans, if you are looking at what we're trying to do art of individuals, we're trying to say to people, look, you need to eat less red meat and you need to buy an electric vehicle and you need to, you know, fly less and drive less and go on for your holidays, right? And these are all the things that you need to do and they have a cost in terms of time or, or behavior. And the benefit to you is that your kids might not die in 80 years or 100 years. And, and whilst that sounds like a quite a compelling argument, a behavioral scientist will tell you that it's not, it, it won't really work. Um, public messaging like hands face space that we might be familiar with certainly those in the uk that was the sort of campaign to get us to wash our hands and keep our distance during the pandemic that works because our brains are uh, are quite basic things and we're used to dealing with threats like lions and a pandemic is much more like a lion and maybe dying in 100 years our brains just don't wire into that at all i think we could all probably agree that if if it was a meteorite crashing to earth in the next couple of years we'd probably be running around doing different things so public messaging and trying to get mass or you know people to you know change your mass is is unlikely to be that effective um Businesses are very selfish too, and but where, where I'm optimistic and why I think it's a change from 10 years ago where, you know, it was just a little bit of corporate social responsibility um, is that, you know, there's a kind of critical mass of young people, the, the Greta Thunberg, um, you, you know, kids or um, growing up and are now coming into the workforce and in another 10 years they're going to make up a big part of that workforce and, and they're angry and it's not just about a business not being able to sell its products or services to that generation it's also not being able to employ those people you know that that generation it's not cool to come out of university and go and work for bp at the moment they have a big problem recruiting young talent so it's double it's, it's we can't sell our goods and services and we can't attract young good talent. Um, businesses are selfish too. And there's a whole other debate around whether capitalism can solve the problem that it's essentially driven and created. Mm. But from an optimistic point of view, yeah, there's this huge win-win for businesses that are kind of selfish entities as well, that they have to drive forwards with this. Um, and, and, and that's why I think it, you know, but that does spread out into the stuff hopefully we'll get into, you know, about the broader sustainability piece and, 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 you know, genuinely caring about your workforce. You know, yes, you can argue that businesses are doing it for kind of selfish reasons and, and you can argue about whether that's okay or, or, or not. Um, but I think they kind of have to behave in this way now um if if they're going to survive like future businesses the, the clock's running down on them if they're not being sustainable from an environmental point of view diversity inclusion mental health all of this stuff um it can't just be a tick in the box and a web page that says how brilliant we are because you get called out on it and i don't know we touched on this earlier before the call patrick what's you know what's changed is maybe social media i'm, I'm not too sure but you know companies just kind of can't Get, get away with it now you just get called out and you get called out very very publicly and it's quite damaging you know platforms like Glassdoor and stuff but um, how, how do you James if you if you take us through your journey it'd be interesting to see because I'm sure when you start out two things first you were just a few people and you're focused on getting the business going and that was some 20 years ago or something so yeah. the, the the environment both in, in many aspects was different so Taking it from that point in time, how you, what you were focused on, how that has evolved, and when did the sustainability come into the picture? And also, it's interesting to, to hear that sustainability officer, I think that's, I've, I've, I've seen it many places, but 
everybody's focusing on the outer environment. They're not focusing on the inner environment of yourself or your staff. So it's just assumed that it's the outer environment. So I'll, I'll be interesting to hear about your personal journey, your staff, and now where you are right now, and that's how that has changed. So if you take a step back from where it all started. Yeah, look, so I'm, I'm super proud of the journey that I've been on, and I'll, I'll cut a very long story short, but you know, I've only had one job and never written a CV and never had a job interview and never had a proper job, really. Um, <laughs> when I graduated from, I was, I'm a techie, I, I, I did computer science and cybernetics. And, and, and when I graduated in 1999, I, I started a business in my bedroom with my buddy, Ben, um, who I've known since I was six weeks old, we, we grew up together. Um, and we were kind of doing all sorts of things. We were doing CD-ROMs back then. You know, we started doing basic little websites for local little companies and things like that and all sorts of things. But, you know, at that stage in life, you've got like this infinite pool of energy, right? We were burning it at both ends. Um, I remember taking a CD-ROM uh, and dropping it off at Ben's mum's house because back then you know if we were doing something for a client you'd have to like post it to them so they could look at the thing you were building and it was and uh, it was like half seven in the morning and she went oh wow James James you're up you're up early I looked at her I went no I'm just up really late you know and I'd been up all night getting this thing done and um, but you know you're young and you're in your 20s and yeah so from a from a company point of view um, look first 10 years somehow we stayed in business we were just kids growing up we we got to about 10 or 15 people turning over a million quid that seemed amazing at the time um, and then just moved into being a kind of more te technical business building quite complicated websites and web platforms so today we, we build you know a lot of the websites for, for Vodafone in the UK so it's big sort of front end but also back end integrations and obviously that just happened to be you know the internet took off as luck would happen right it just happened to be a good area to be in and, and we became kind of a pretty large what you would call design and build agency in the UK um, got up to about 60 or 70 people back in 2016 sold the business then to a small group called Beherd that was subsequently acquired at the start of lockdown um, by MSQ. So today, MMT still exists. Um, I'm still the co-founder. I, I wear that hat and hang out with the exec team and have some respect. And, and Ben is still very much there and is still the CEO. Um, but they really are driving the, the, the next phase of the growth of the business and have been for the last few years. Um, and then MSQ is a thousand people um, across 10 agencies. So MMT very much the kind of largest part of that. I think, you know, in, in terms of when did sort of personal sort of well-being, sustainability, if you like, become important on that journey. For me, it was probably mid in my mid thirties. And, I, and I, one thing I do have to call out is, is my wife, Emma, who I, I know you guys know, but um, I don't, you know, I don't think I'd be anywhere near as into this as if, if, if it wasn't for Emma, she sort of initially dragged me into it. And then, you know, eventually become a kind of a bit of evangelist for it all. She's incredible. She's a, you know, a, a PT, a, a nutritionist, um, has done the oxygen advantage course with you guys and as, as have I, and, and, and is out for a health summit at the moment. So if I don't give her enough credit, I just make sure I do that bit now, because she'll kill me if I <laughs> podcast with you guys and taking, <laughs> pretending to be some sort of great evangelist for this is really all, all she's been incredible um but i would say probably mid 30s uh, and and it started you know and at that point then i was kind of getting pretty much like not in great physical shape 
um, which meant that I actually wasn't in very good, you know, much, there was a, there's a lot of stress scaling a business and taking it through an exit, even post exit, like after you've sold a business, there's even more stress, actually, one of the sort of darkest mental places I went was it was was a few months after we'd sold the business this sort of life-changing exit because there was this sort of realization that life hadn't changed right and and now I had this like earn out where they want you to grow the business and there are all these targets and you know you go from elation to being back down in meetings in London flogging websites and trying to grow the business and and your life kind of changed but it hasn't changed if that if that makes sense i'm sure it's a kind of common so it's that old adage of like you know money doesn't make you happy right i mean it gives you choice and it can do but but that was quite but lack of money makes you sad (laughs) (laughs) yeah and i i I don't yeah i would choose my words carefully there because you know it, it, it 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 was an amazing point in my life but mentally it was really tough mid-30s out of shape physically I've been quite lucky and always been quite lean but I think you know started to chip away thanks to M at my nutrition so that was a big one just you're just eating crap especially when you're running down to London and you're on the road and you're going to Pret and you're grabbing sandwiches and drinking coffee and you know so M really really helped me with the nutrition aspect I'm tall and so inevitably I started getting back problems because I spend a lot of time like hunched over a computer. And so a lot of guys, I got into yoga because I was dragged there kicking and screaming by my wife, right? Oh, yoga, right? You have this sort of, has a stigma around it for guys. Mm-hmm. Um, I think one within the first week, I'd done a, a sort of power yoga session, which is a sort of modern form of Ashtanga and realized it was the hardest workout I'd ever done in my life. I don't know, just sweat was dripping off me. James, and, can, yeah, can I jump in? Sorry. Of course, yeah, just interrupt. I, you know, I think this is a key message, and I can imagine so many individuals, especially men, in occupations, and there's so many demands on their time that their work is absolutely consuming them. So obviously, okay, you had your wife, um, and she was dra- part of the driving force, but there's that, there's that dilemma you know that you need to be in shape and doing all of these things, but at the same time, there's a workload here. And it's very easy for the person because you're so conscientious about the workloads that you, you put this secondary. That's a major mental shift. So for you, did you just decide, was it gradual over a period of time? When you first decided, did you spend a little bit of time doing it, making the shift? Did you go all in? When did you do it? So, for example, did you get up an hour earlier in the morning? Did you do it in the morning? What were the practical things that if, say, somebody our age, well, I know you're, you're younger than I am, we'd say somebody heading towards 50. They don't have the time. Their workload is consuming them. But now they're feeling guilty about not giving themselves attention because everything else is consuming them. How do you make that change, and how did you make it? And when? Yeah, when what's the practical question. stuff? And I think it's in, you know it's, it's incremental. I mean, you know, it, it, you know, anyone who is into PT will tell you like the the worst thing to do is just go all in in January and you know dry January. You know, it's like they, those are just all terrible ideas, right? You you know, don't stop drinking in January. Just drink less generally, and we'll make these increments. So everything's been incremental. I'm still on like a journey from like I'm. 40 
uh, what am I, 44 this, 45 this year. And I probably, so probably really started on this over 10 years. And it's, it, I'm still tweaking little things like changing my breakfast, tweaking that. And, and you know, it, it's a really long, like that's the, the message, right? It's just like, just don't go all in. Like I think the worst thing an exec can do is like, right, I'm out of shape. I need to train for two hours in the morning. I need to change my nutrition. I got to do yoga in the evening because that is not sustainable, right? You know, you know, we've all seen that. Just do, just do, do one little thing, change your breakfast or change your lunch. And so, I mean, it was a combination of things like yoga. Yeah, it was just a few times a week. We were lucky there was an evening class at, at, at sort of a 6.30. It wasn't too disruptive. One of the things that we did um, is put a gym in our garage like that. Got really nice yeah. gym in the garage now, but that, that wasn't fancy initially. We had a double garage that was just full of crap and we stripped it out and we put a partition wall I and mean, we spent 300 pounds and put some carpet down. I got Sky in to put a TV at the end and we bought some, some cheap kit. And so we had that, and, you know, it, but it was just these incremental things and, and yoga again, lucky with them. Um, you know, we probably do yoga together two or three times a week. That's our, our morning routine. That's easier in the post COVID world. Cause I'm not getting up and flying down to London a lot. Um, but it's, it's so like, incremental like whatever you do just just go right what, what is the one little thing i could do this month mm. right whether it's changing my breakfast nutritioning i'm gonna do yoga the week, or i'm gonna do it in the morning with my wife um and then maybe next month that might be two two days a week or another change in nutrition but it, you know mine it, it's a that's the only advice i can really give is is kind of make that incredibly incremental but just to finish on the yoga point i think what surprise i went into that because of back issues i was then surprised by how good it was for me physically and then i was doing some gym work as well but i don't think i've ever been as kind of ripped as i was i don't do as much now actually but when i did yoga you look at these guys who just do yoga they're like gymnasts like i got in really great definition but the bit that surprised me was that was the mental bit and i still evangelize about that and, and that connection into the world of breathing which i'd love to talk to you about really because that's been a, a journey like clearly people have been doing yoga for years and hundreds of years figure out for non-scientific reasons that you know nasal breathing or and just different certain breathing patterns would just kind of calm the mind and you know just the lovely thing with yoga is just spending five minutes at the start of the practice and maybe 10 minutes at the end thinking about nothing and that's a really hard thing to do like to stop and th think about nothing is really hard or to let your mind wander and bring it back um and and you don't do that when you go in the gym right you just jump in the gym and you do a workout and you come out or you go for a run you, or you go for a swim can. or you go for a ride you can yes. you absolutely you know can. what and i would can. love to see i you know what there has been such a letdown, I have to say. I came across the focus on, on breathing and awareness back 25 years ago. I was lucky. I came into it by accident. It's, it has been taught so incorrectly for so many years, for decades. It's been seen so left of field. And this literally, if you go for a walk, because I, I can understand that people don't have the time to be doing X, Y, Z, they don't have the time to do yoga, don't have the time to do breathing, don't have the time to do exercise, whatever. But you can do a couple of things together and you can go for a walk and you can focus on your breathing during the walk. You can go for the walk and you can bring your full attention out into the present moment. And 
we have to get away from all of this left of field connotations. You know, it has really put people off. And ultimately, if we talk about the benefits of it, you're, you're, you mentioned in terms of bringing in that mental awareness. Now, if we want to access flow states and if we want to get into that state of mind whereby we're in relaxation and alertness at the same time, where creativity comes in, intuition comes in, bliss comes in, that you're totally absorbed with 100% of your attention on doing what you're doing. And also it's saving energy and it gives you the resilience that you deal better with difficult situations. That's not being taught in the business world. And partly because the tools that you access to get there is changing sleep, not just sleep hygiene, but improving functional breathing. And that's been overlooked. And the yoga community, they need to wake up a little bit. I have well, to say. Well, it, it was amazing to me. What I loved, as, as you say, like it, it, it's the problem with it is that it puts it in the kind of woo-woo camp, right? Yes, <laughs> and, yes. And, and, and what was amazing to, I, I kind of felt the benefits and, you mm. know, yeah, talk about sleep. I've got my aura ring on. I can tell you my sleep score last night and my, my <laughs> HRV and, you know, become very obsessed with it. I love it. Um, but, you know, I've, I've felt the benefits. I don't think I necessarily connected it with the breathing at that point. I think I just connected it with the taking time out to try and focus, to stop my mind being busy. Bring your um, attention into your body. You're doing exactly. pauses that you yeah. have to bring your attention to doing what you're doing. So you are taking your attention out of your mind. Well, exactly. Even you might know and, it. And, and when, you're, when you're holding a really hard pose, mm. you, you, you can't sort of think about oh that bloody email that I got last night that was annoying because <laughs> he's right on the on the edge of what you can do but actually it's when you stop and then at the end but you know what was kind of cool and you know doing the oxygen advantage course with, with Daniel and, and Chanty was was kind of connecting these two worlds of like okay the it, like the science has kind of caught up with something that they figured out in some weird way and 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 could see and feel the benefits but couldn't ex explain it and 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 you're, you're right i suspect the kind of the part of the challenge you've got with trying to engage with the c-suite at the moment is that it it's considered all a bit hippy dippy we whatever it is but it's it's not when you read your book and and learn the science and um it, you well, know well Jay, if, if i can step in and just uh, it's it's interesting because uh, what we're trying to do, platform ourselves now with Oxygen Advantage, is to kind of bring it in, in real time. What separates breathing from uh, yoga and many other activities is that you can change your states in real time before an important meeting, during an important meeting, and you got the aura ring, for example, to measure. Like it's almost like with the outer environment, you, you measure the carbon footprint. This is the same, but it measures your footprint inside. So. I think when you can measure this stuff, it becomes more of a mirror towards yourself. So I think this is the first, with all these biometric devices, that you can use it in real time. And that's something you have to go away for. Because you always think, oh, yoga is great, training is great, uh, changing your diet. But in real time, before an important meeting, after an unexpected stress event, you can use breathing. You always have it with you. That's why I think the real power is and you can also measure it if you don't kind of believe it. You can see the stress levels go up and down. So you can calibrate stress with, with breathing methods. So I think that's why we're trying to approach it in a, in a different way that I think I haven't seen anywhere else because yeah. it's, it's very powerful. Daniel, I wonder if somebody is living with racing thoughts and in constant fear and constant greed, 
is it going to be a recipe, a recipe for sustainability, both in the workforce, but also in the broader environment? And I'm going to draw the attention to, I would love to know inside the mind of Putin at this moment, can we really say that that individual is connected or there's something going on with the human psyche and that, you know, personality traits would be very interesting. What sort of psyche do you need for sustainability of this planet? What sort of psyche do you need to make sure that the workforce and the people that you're connecting with, because it's like this, we all have a bad day. Yeah. You'll have a bad day every now and again, you feel like shit. Yeah. You're going to treat everything else like shit. Some guy cuts you off, you're going to blow the horn at him. It's a totally different when you're in a different frame of mind. And that's what I would say with people who have, you know, a tendency towards anxiety, a tendency towards racing mind, a tendency to be lost in thought, to be self-absorbed. Because if you're self-absorbed with your own mind, how can you consider anything else outside of you? And that's the message. So really the question here is, can sustainability be a factor if the human psyche that's still pervasive out there, if that's going to persist. I think, I mean, you know, it's a incredibly deep, I mean, there's not a simple answer to that one, obviously, Patrick. I mean, I, I think that, um, you know, what I would say is, you know, I think, I think there's, you know, there's the, the parallel we talked about with, with environmental sustainability, but I think there's, there's a friction there in terms of like trying to solve that and, GDP and economic growth are like that and you know you can make an argument that that businesses driving to net zero can grow and be more sustainable but you know there, there are definitely question marks over that there's also I think a friction right down at the kind of the you know if that's the macro stuff like that there's a friction between the modern world and trying to be wealthier and and that being a marker of success that you're achieving more in business that you're climbing the ranks that you're getting that promotion that you're getting the bigger house and that i think there's just this 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 friction there now one of the things that i've done and that's easy for me to do in my position is and i had this conversation with them the last couple of years i've actually worked on trying to be more crap in my and what i do right in, in my workplace right that's the best way i can do it be less good now right? i'm interested at work okay <laughs> so because of starting a business in my bedroom and that's all i've ever known right I, i'm pretty obsessive like that's my mindset if someone emails me i email them back right if you email me you'll get a response within the next few hours and, and like you know and i'm just i'm just i i think i'm, I'm pretty good at what I do right and I'm very responsive and I'm I'm very driven and one of the things I need to do is is kind of be less good at the work just be a bit more relaxed about that be a bit more crap like just I yeah. don't need to worry about you know maybe I could just email you back tomorrow instead of this afternoon and not to feel guilty about not it. not exactly not to feel guilty about it now I say that I started that with the premise of like that's easier sort of said than done because I'm in a sort of privileged position and I, and I can be more crap because I've sort of achieved all I need or want to achieve from a kind of you know commercial point of view in my career I'm kind of in this lovely space I've got a lovely family I, I can be a bit more crap but I think there's something in that, that, that not to tell individuals to be more crap, but we just, there's this friction there. And we, that's the elephant in the room. And we've got to have that, that, that grown up com 
conversation at, at an environmental point of view you know msq is a is a is a is a digital marketing company right our sole purpose is to to help our clients sell more stuff right? we're driving consumerism we're a big part of the problem right so that's the elephant in the room there i think some of the elephant the elephant in the room is sustainability i'm not sure whether i'm directly answering your question or not but i think there's just this like this this friction between the modern workplace and sustainability and it's not the answer isn't to tell people oh it's okay to be more crap that just that isn't a solution it's got to come from the top down it's got to be that the organization <laughs> not helps them be worse at their job but helps them give them that space and tells them that that's okay and that it's not acceptable to work those extra two hours that's not good because you're going to get burnt out and you're going to get mental stress and that's not good for the business long term and it's not good for you, you and i think some of those conversations are, are happening um but what would you yeah, just well, james uh, interesting you say that with mm. kind of like the the tug between on a macro level if you take the environment uh, but but on a micro level at a company if you have be more sustainable with environment versus profits when it really comes down to all the companies same with stress in a company everybody's have seen numbers with billions of dollars in every every country that you know for for stress related diseases but when it comes down to the specific company what can you do you don't see a whole lot so you got the the fluffy stuff you see the the report statistics of global impact on environment and stress but when you come down to boss versus the employer what do they actually do when you have the, you know spending money doing breeding for example or whatever it is spending money on like reducing the the carbon footprint versus profit that's that's i see a, a mismatch and, and i think it, i think it depends on the business actually i think i think we're pretty lucky in what we do as a business because i mean all businesses are people businesses right i mean that's a bit of a cliche but of course they've all got people and they're all people businesses but i think some businesses are more people businesses than others so we're a professional services company you can think of us like a consultancy right we're just a bunch of brilliant people delivering services to our clients right whether you can you know we're the same as accenture same as any kind of professional services consultancy type business which just happened to be building websites or delivering technology services now that's much easier to have a conversation even if the c-suite is kind of quite selfish and profit driven because clearly you want to have people that are there for a long time that they want to be at the top of their game we should definitely you know, there's really clear and obvious benefits you giving them mental space yeah because that we're gonna that's what we're gonna grow we're gonna get better people we're gonna be we will be better i think that's very different if you're amazon right and your staff are the people you know picking stuff and putting them in trays right because how much do you care about that because they're you know perhaps a bit more you know expendable and there's a high level of churn so i think that depends on the type of company and 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 um so i think we're in, we're in a space where that that conversation is easier to have i think if you take a you know the big corporates they can perhaps see the benefit of that from the exec leadership team point of view but i wonder as as things go down whether businesses actually see the benefit of investing in, in their in their staff in, in those types of businesses um, mm. when did you else, see so. when did you make that personal slash transition for your company to become more sustainable after five years 10 years 15 years or and also what do you do 
personally for yourself and also the staff like that three-step process that I would like to call yourself, your staff and our environment. I think just from, if we're talking about that, that, that broader sustainability piece, the environmental stuff came later that, that came, you know, only four or five kind of years ago, actually. Yeah. Um, the net zero side of it. I, I, I couldn't sort of pick a point. Like I just, again, I think that the type of business that we are, and I would like to think the type of people that myself and Ben are, like if, if if anything, I always like to feel, you know, there's this sort of thing that people often say, oh, I've got to be a real asshole to succeed in business, right? And and sadly that that there probably is a graph you can draw uh, <laughs> of being a bastard and, and being successful. I think that I've always, you know, I'm just a techie, I'm just a computer geek and you guys know me a, a little bit I, you know i hope if nothing else that you know ben and i are just kind of nice people right we're, we're every, every single week i do a, a i have a meet the founder session i used to do it one-to-one -one with everybody but uh, now i probably have two or three people on the call but every single person who starts within the business today and forever more as long as i'm there within their first week i spend an hour and i take them through the journey and i show them pictures of me and ben like when we were kids growing up and we we, we sort of tell them the story so I, I feel like we, we didn't define it as that. We've always just tried to be nice people. And you know, I know it's a naff word. I'm using that on purpose, but to treat our people with respect and treat them nicely. You know, when we brought in an exec team and I tell this story on the meet the founder session, there isn't a trick to scaling the business. Employ people that are better than you, smarter than you, pay them well, look after them properly, um, treat them with respect and like good things will happen. And you see a lot of founder led founder owned businesses cap out at 50, 60 people, right? They struggle to get up into that next phase um, because you have to let go of your baby, literally, yep. right? Almost literally. And put in an, an exec team and let them scale the business. Um, so I, I, I don't think I could answer your question properly, Daniel, and say where, where did it come. I feel like when I look back at it, we, we've always tried to grow a sustainable business in terms of just really looking after people because whether it was, I don't think it was entirely driven by, I think because we are nice people, but also we could see that that was the best way to sort of scale a successful professional services business. I think as you scale, you have to wrap proper processes in it. You know, Ben and James being nice and chatting to everyone in the kitchen. That's not, that's not scalable when you're got offices mm -hmm. all over the world, you've got to have an HR team and you've got to invest in, you know, DEI and, and, and put structures and, and sort of process around that and give people space. Um, but I think that just that the culture of the business has always been, you know, when we had our London office and we worked with London clients, there was always this clash of culture because we were based up in the Midlands and, and we'd always like, it was nine to five thirty, And the problem with London, the London culture becomes eight till seven, right? That's just like a normal working day in London. And there was always this clash between internal clash when the London project managers would ring up at, you know, 5.40 to speak to a developer and they've gone home, right? But we would put that on the London guys and be like, okay, well, why, why are you, why are you, you know, why are you still there at six o'clock? Like that can't be right. Like, are we, have we, do we need to employ some more people? So sorry, that was a long answer to a simple question, Daniel. But it's just the the na and the nature of our you know our our business. Um, and but the, I think it's going back industry. to what you said at first, uh, James, that you were when you came to your friend's house and worked overnight. That you do that, you have that bustling energy as any as an entrepreneur. You focus on just you know making, and then you had a shift maybe ten years after for whatever reason, 
and you go through increments it's hard to define but it's i think it's a pretty normal journey otherwise you don't know exactly it's kind of thinking about the company yourself your staff more and more and eventually you look back and you may not necessarily know where it's where it's coming from but what what do you do for your like as far as your staff as, as far as sustainable staff i mean there are a million things you can do but what's your thoughts on that and how do you work with it and can i just yeah i have a question yeah. here as well james the selection process because if you select the right person i think it's easier and yeah how do you so it's even going before that to choose the right individual in the first instance and then the culture that you want to develop during that time Geez, I wish I had a brilliant, simple <laughs> answer uh, uh, answer to, to that and how, and how we kind of nail it. I think, um, what do we do for, for staff? I mean, I think that we're not there yet in terms of, um, you know, the, 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 the sort of physical, mental health. I think there's, there's a lot that we do. So our, our HR team are brilliant, right? And we've got, so we've got a DIT, so diversity, inclusion, equality and inclusion team, um, which is made up across the business, driven by the HR teams across the group. And they're, they're brilliant. You know, there's endless stuff that we're, we're doing. It's not just like, oh, let's just do a one-off thing for mental health week and send some stuff. We do do that. But there's, there's lots of processes, you know, wrapped around in terms of just making sure we've got a diverse equal opportunity you know mental well-being stuff now if i was to to criticize it at all and it's not really them directly i think there's a broader piece that you guys will see um and this is this is that's something i've learned through m that the, the where the world is in terms of like sort of nutrition and 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 physical exercise and certainly breathing like is in the dark ages right it, it and i think the great thing about the aura ring and i've i've you know, M's had me wearing blood glucose monitors and doing biostrap trials and things like that. What's exciting over the next 10 years, I think, is that, you know, we can kind of grab hold of our own health. You know, it's kind of the biohacker community now. I, I think that needs to sort of scale and become more mainstream. Um, but, you know, you know, look at the advice that GPs mostly give around, you know, health and nutrition. It's, it's, it's kind of awful. The, the science is out there. The data is out there. But, Patrick, as you've pointed out, like, there's lots of crap out there as well. So you've got to navigate the, the proper science with the, with the chances creating some crappy device that's based on, on nothing. It's quite, you know, in, in, empowering. But so it, what, to come back, it's, it's, it's not to sort of criticize our HR team or any HR team. I just, I don't think they have the tools to say, you know, this is, this is you know, wh whether it's nutrition advice, whether it's, um, you know, physical health, mental health, you know, and how breathing feeds into that. Um, you know, it's almost, I look at what goes out and I'm kind of like, oh, you know, bless them for trying, but it's, um, you know, it, it's, it's kind of not, I would say it's not, mm. not, not there but yet. It is difficult to, first off, you have to know what affects your health. And that's not obvious because a lot of people don't even think about the breathing, may not even think about sleep necessarily, diets, most people probably know, physical exercise people know. Well, they do, they, they know the importance of it but actually like the amount of people as you'll have spoken to who who think they know about 
nutrition but it's just you know crap like right back to you know oh you know i won't i'll, I'll only drink diet coke instead of coke or oh, i don't have sugar anymore i've got i've got sweetness and stuff like it just just really kind of like yeah, you know the slim fast be... diet stuff like it's just like oh god please don't do that stuff you know i've only learned that because i'm lucky with them but actually i think you know we're in a bubble and you take it back people who think they've oh i've gone on you know changed my nutrition you look at it and it's like it's, but this terrible. should be the trainings that not for the corporation you know kids go to university to learn how to work and survive in a corporation i as just as anybody outside of business college went to university in dublin trinity college dublin i came out of that and i came into the corporate world couldn't deal with it i was in middle management i had pressures coming so much from the top down i had to pass the pressures down onto the people below me I was in that stress response all the time, poor sleep. So we come out of university, so-called business school, and we didn't have the tools to deal with difficult situations. We didn't know anything about building up resilience. So even the corporation, and when I look back, and sometimes I blame the corporation I worked with, that's, and probably that's a natural thing to do. But it was only later that I realized that it was me that was messed up. But nobody gave me any direction going through formal education of 16, 20 years. And accordingly, the, one of the best business schools that you could go to in this country. And yet we are not equipped. You know, this is going back. This isn't, you know, I suppose the corporation can do the best. And I understand it is really, really challenging. Um, and we're tiny, you know, but in terms of even the selection process and some of the biggest things in terms of selection is just that ability that you're getting on with somebody and that you know that that person is there, that they're loyal and that that person also, they're going to do the best that they can do, that they're not just here to take advantage. And for me, those are the biggest, you know, the, the biggest attributes that somebody can have. But I think the education system has, has really needs, it really needs to step up to the mark here but then again, we have to ask those individuals who are in the universities, they're in their tiny bubble, that certain particular type of individual that they are not living in the real world. And yet they are preparing these kids for the real world. You know, it, it's even broader beyond the corporation, isn't it? Or what do you but think? I think, I think James, the, 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 I would like to hear what you, what, how you work with, um, with diet and all that, because companies i think view them as not having to deal with sleep which is outside of work maybe breeding training it's something you do outside so how do you how do you offer the tools for something that's viewed outside like your privacy to to deal with that in on corporate time or outside but like to you can't make it mandatory so that's it's a it's tricky in that way yeah, I, I, I don't know, because I, you know, I wouldn't say we'd, we're very active at doing it. It's an early conversation. I mean, my, my view is, you know, I'm, I'm a big fan of the, the aura ring, as, we, as we've mentioned. And, and I think, you know, if there was kind of, you know, one, one metric to rule them all, right, we might, we might pick HRV. I mean, you might, might disagree and maybe mm -hmm. you need a few others, right? But if you want a metric for, you know, one to rule them all, right, it's not a bad marker of stress and, 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 and sleep and diet and, and exercise and general health. Um, I don't personally, I'm not a big fan of this con. I think Aura would do this now, right? They have like a business version where everyone gets an Aura ring and then you can, you know, I've seen some screenshots where you can look at it by department and individual, like I, I'm, I'm, 
very hesitant that that is a good thing to do. And I think you'd probably get quite a lot of blowback from staff. It seems fraught with danger, right? Young people tend to have a, a higher HRV, right? So what are we saying? We're trying to drive HRV up. So we want to skew towards a younger workforce. Like there's a whole raft of like really dangerous things to do. But I think what would be really cool, we don't do this, what I'd love to see it, is for companies to give people aura rings as part of a starter package. It might not even need to be compulsory, but why not? Just, we'll just give it to you. Um, we're not going to link it all up. We're not going to track you. We're not going to do it by department. Yeah. Um, but we are going to give you a load of tools and techniques to, you know, help drive your um, HRV up or whatever. So there's a, here's our company internet and there's a bit on sleep and there's a bit on nutrition and there's a bit on mental health and there's a bit on breathing and, and all this sort of stuff. And if you want to have some fun and like gamify it and compare it, I mean, my HRV is terrible. I don't know why it tends to be just like pretty low, but like it's a very individual marker as well. Yes, right? So I think is. gamifying it, um and and that i'm i'm personally that's not my my view i'm not, I'm not here, a here. i think it's that, a great idea but but, but go the other way yeah cool. it's super i think it's a great idea to be to be able to go down that route but daniel this culture needs to be driven by the person at the top because yeah. it, so there's not going to be too many jameses <laughs> no hopefully it'll be more in the future that i agree so i agree that this is a holistic view you have like you said starter package like a buffet that you can try to some people they'll get it when they start at 28 they may start it when they're 40 so you have to kind of so it's a financial issue as well because you know giving them all this costs money if you're a small company you probably won't but the point is if you if you make it outside work eventually you will bring it into your workday by yourself is, is it a financial you you've listened to Stephen Kotler I listened to him this morning there and yesterday McKinsey apparently did a study on flow states yeah. and individuals who are getting into flow states their productivity increased by 500 yeah. percent so these individuals could work he used the example on Monday and they yeah, would be as productive in Monday that a normal individual would be for the five days and this is going to be the competition so this is where James and what James is talking about is that let's be real about this a company is going to get buy-in if they feel that the bottom line is going to improve or if it gives them a competitive advantage, which will ultimately result in achieving where they want to achieve, whether it is maybe they have different goals, sustainability, bottom line, et cetera, et cetera. Giving those tools to the employees and that's not just helping the individual in the workplace, but that's helping them ultimately outside of the workplace. Because if you can achieve that state of flow, can you achieve flow states with crap nutrition, with dysfunctional breathing, with obstructive sleep apnea, when you're living in your head, you're not going to achieve flow states. And this is where it's tying all in. So we need to show, and I think it will happen, James. I, I, I think you're bang on, Patrick. I mean, I think, I think you've, just like the environmental piece, the best way to get this to work is to tap into the well the, the negative way of putting this is to tap into the selfish nature of businesses the more positive spin to put on that is to find the win-win right if you can find a win-win in business then that's the, the dream right yeah. and i think you're absolutely right you just need to to you know you know show and, and and prove the benefits and i think the 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 science is is coming and and the the young people in the workforce are the CEOs of the future and they're starting to kind of wear these devices and they're going to become more mass market. Um, but yeah, just like the environmental piece is, 
you know, is is tapping into the sort of selfish nature of businesses, is tapping into that win-win. You know, we have lots of staff schemes for getting them onto, you know, renewable energy for electric vehicle lease hire schemes for green commute. We've got all these, you know, brilliant things because I think, you know, talked about it earlier, right? We're asking a lot of of, of individuals, but businesses can kind of like sit in the middle um, because we have there's a great benefit to us of, of treating our staff in that way. You know, what is, what is business's role in the future of switching everybody over to, to, to sort of heat pumps? Like we need to kind of think about all these things because it's asking a lot of an individual, but there's a kind of win-win for business. And I, and I think, you know, you're spot on patching. And I think as the, as the science comes out and, and I, I feel like it's changing, like the, 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 I touched on it before, like if I could, you know, and I've only been in this like one business, but the last 20 years, you know, there was none of this chat, you know, and, 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 and there's so whether it's talking about imposter syndrome and CEOs talking about stress and mental health, and, and that's really being encouraged and exploded out on, on social media and seen as a good thing versus in like 1999 when i started that was just a sign of weakness and you were never going to survive in business if you if you can't if you can't cut it if you can't hack the stress you know you, you got to get out so mm-hmm. that that's that there's a seismic change there i think and there's just a little bit of catching up um to do with with the science and as these devices get more mainstream and as you guys get your message out there um you know i'm i'm i'm, I'm, a, I'm a little bit aware of it now but you know i i've I, you know, I'm not, I'm not brilliant with my breathing, but I, I take my mouth at night. I'm much, much better in the gym. All my, most of my gym workouts are, you know, mm. breathing through my nose until I break. I'm quite aware of it when I'm sat at my desk. That's often a trigger for me. Um, it's hard for me to sort of, sort of say categorically what the breathing has done. COVID the last two years has been amazing for me, mm. you know, changed my, you know, work-life balance meant that I could work out more. Um, be at home more do more yoga hang out with my wife more because I'm not in London more my lunchtime nutrition has completely changed because I'm not grabbing crap from yeah. prep so there's lots of things that have changed I'm in a much much better state so it's hard for me scientifically to say you know this is what the breathing has done um, but it's definitely a you know a big component but the it. fact that you're stuck with it it has to I'm assume you know it has contributed something and I think that's the best way is the incremental changes anyway Instead of having the mouth open during sleep, you'll know by your aura ring anyway. Yeah. Well, you know, it's weird, isn't it? You feel weird. Like if I sat here breathing through my mouth, there's this, it just yeah. sort of feels a bit weird. And I did feel, it for 20 years. You feel years. like your mouth is drying up <laughs> during does. the day and um, yeah. catch yourself yeah. doing it. And, yeah. and Em and I will go on walks together and I'll be, my mind will have drifted off and then she'll poke me in the side and go, oi, <laughs> breathing through your mouth. <laughs> sorry, sorry, sorry. So we kind of do it together. Nice. James, do you think, so it sounds like there's a, like a process to this if you want to get in a more sustainable, healthy environment, more specifically breeding. There are other things you can bring in as well, but awareness. First off, you have to be aware that it's actually helpful. But then going back to what you said, Patrick, about the cost, like the reason, like if you, ha- if you could show a company backwards that you know, they've made money off breeding or whatever, then it'd be no brainer. But you know what it's going to cost you if you spend like 30,000 euros or whatever on and rings and breathing exercises, whatever, but you don't know what the income or revenues are going to be. So you get one known and one unknown. And even if you want that, even if you solve that, then you have to build like the sustainability for people to actually do it. Because if you just got a drawing seeing this is what we've done in some other place, 
So I think at least there's a three-step process of awareness, making like understanding that this is a small investment long-term to make, but then you also have to, you can't just, you have to help people to get the, the habit and sustainability going. It doesn't take yeah, but, and, and I think you can, but you, you, the timing's good in that, you know, I think a lot of companies are, they're not doing this, but they're already making those types of investment without having a very tangible way of exactly measuring the return on it, right? So that yeah. most companies of, you know, of any credibility have a good, you know, you know, diversity, quality, inclusion team that are focused on mental health, physical health, whether it's free gym memberships for people, whether it's doing stuff for mental health week, you know, companies are investing in this stuff already. They're spending tens of thousands if they're bigger, it's, you know, whatever. Um, and they're not necessarily able, they kind of know it's a good thing to do. And, but it's very hard for them to connect that with actual, you know, churn rates, like how many fewer people resigned, that's expensive. How much did the output go up? Well, we can see output's gone up, but you know, there's a hundred things that have changed this year. So how do we connect it to that? But they're that's doing it. They're doing it anyway. So I don't think it's a completely cold sell. I think you're just layering on something mm -hmm. actually that's even more scientific to the, the stuff that they're already doing. You're connecting it with, with mental health and fitness mm -hmm. and sleep and nutrition and all of that sort of stuff. So I think 10 years ago is a really, really hard sell. 20 years ago, an impossible sell. And um, James, yeah. what about, because I'm just conscious we, we're drawn mm -hmm. to a close because of time. What's your vision for 10 years time? Where do you think it's going to be in 10 years time? Well, I think, you know, I, I'm optimistic. I mean, for, for me personally, the, the next part of my career, I, I'm loving the kind of environmental sustainable sense. For me, it's about like the second half of my career is a bit more about kind of trying to give back and feel like that, that I'm very proud of building a business and being successful there, but I want to kind of create a bit more of a legacy. I, 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 I'm optimistic that I think a lot of this stuff is going to become more mainstream. You know, there's some, again, to keep going back to these devices, you know, um, the oaring, the bio straps, the server, you know, blood glucose. I think blood glucose monitoring is going to be a massive one when they can probably will have one of those that's kind of non-invasive. Uh, you know, I, I suspect, you know, in 10 years time, we'll be wearing one or two devices that are just like giving us this incredible scan of our body. And then this very tailored, personalized advice on, you know, what you need to do, you know, today, like, you know, the aura ring on steroids, right? But, you know, wrapping it up into nutrition and so that, that very kind of like personalized, highly tailored advice on sleep nutrition mental health all of it yeah. coming through driven from from technology i mean i'm a yeah. techie so i'm going to get excited about that yeah. that that's right that i guess that's what springs to mind when you ask me where we might be in in 10 years time then then to your point like maybe it'll then more easily connect with my you know with the breathing and helping me to show that i didn't breathe particularly well yesterday yeah. and this is what i need to do so yeah mm -hmm. great it's been a pleasure daniel no, I, absolute pleasure. Mm. Uh, would like to revisit maybe in the future some some other questions. This is uh, ten years. Yeah, <laughs> ten years. Right. no, but this is evolving area. I think it's it will be very interesting to kind of look back every year to kind of see where it's going. But uh, thank you so much, James. Uh, mm. Really great to have like somebody who's a who's a real entrepreneur who's grown a business from like uh, from nothing to something uh, fantastic. So. Uh, and can also incorporate a little bit of, you know, breathing, training, all that. So, um, yeah, very interesting to hear. Thanks, guys. No, it's been a pleasure. Lovely to chat to you as always. Pleasure, James. Thanks very Thank much. You.